in a worst case scenario for Chris Licht, which certainly seems more likely in the wake of this this Atlantic piece, possibly laying the groundwork for Chris Licht's departure. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm John Kelly. It's Monday, June 5th, and today I'm here with Dylan Byers while we talk about the double-barreled news coming out of CNN. First, that Zaz Lieutenant Dave Levy is taking over as COO, acting as a sort of Trojan horse looking over the shoulder of Chris Licht. And second of all, the implosion of an Atlantic 15,000-word story on Licht and his tenure, which has everyone in the media talking, blabbling, reading, texting, and wondering just how much longer this is going to last. All that and more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Welcome to the Powers That Be. I'm John Kelly, standing in for Peter Hamby one last time for Media Monday. And I'm here with my man, Dylan Byers, our expert in, among other things, the dark arts of CNN and the never-ending stream of news that disseminates from Hudson Yards. Dylan, I've been dying to talk to you. I think we've been obsessed and chatting and slacking and texting about the two mega, mega, mega pieces of news that dropped last week. First... On Thursday, the news that Dave Levy, the totally well-liked, and, you know, we both like him, Zaz, lieutenant at Warner Brothers Discovery, suddenly became the COO of CNN, a completely loaded and seemingly Trojan horse-style move. And then, second of all, this long-awaited and deeply overcooked year-in-the-making Robert Caro-style Tim Alberta profile on Chris Lake, which was clearly intended to be some sort of life-affirming wet kiss turned out to be an absolute DEFCON 1 disaster. There's so much to talk about, but let's first begin with the Levy of it all. Dylan, um, I'd love to hear your top-line views and what the people inside Hudson Yards are saying. Well, I I actually wouldn't necessarily... In a way, these two things, or at least the timing of these two things, might be tied together. Levy is a Trojan horse, as you say. I mean, I think the most charitable interpretation of that move is an attempt to send help to somebody who is obviously flailing. But what you have here is you have Levy, a consigliere to David Zaslav, a member of the inner circle, a direct report, effectively taking over the business of CNN. That is everything having everything that is not editorial, the, the, the P&L, the money making, the marketing, the PR. 
uh, the operations. And just quick, quick asterisk for our for first time listeners here, Dylan. Dave Levy, love him as we might, is a communications man. He's a former Clinton aide. He's not an MBA or McKinsey guy, right? Like the the, the fact that he's no. fulfilling that job is in itself uh, deeply unusual. I'm sure that he's deeply connected to Gunnar Wiedenfels as, as a CFO, but it, it's not like they brought in a, a bean counter or a number cruncher. They bought in a culture air freshener who's got a direct line to the boss, right? That's right. Uh, that's right. A culture air freshener and a guy who basically is representative of what of what Zaslav and Gunner and those guys want. And a guy who I think would argue that in addition to his sort of, you know, Clinton White House press office bona fides, uh, has 20 years of experience at the company mm-hmm. at Discovery um, and, ha- and has done a lot in terms of the sort of, you know, obscure building culture at cable networks, which a culture is obviously something that, um, more positive culture is something CNN might benefit from right now. But yes, a Trojan horse and a, a very obvious vote of no confidence in Chris Lick's ability to run the business, which, by the way, as we have long said on the podcast and in our pages, that is never a role for which Chris Lick was qualified. Mm-hmm. And they start, uh, you know, as, as I've some of the reporting I've unearthed this week, they started a search for a COO more than two months ago. And they did, in fact, talk to an executive uh, at ABC Television and made her an offer. She dragged her feet. But this was all sort of a perfunctory search to basically get sort of get Levy in there and get a greater grasp on what was going on. And in a worst case scenario for Chris Licht, which certainly seems more likely in the wake of this this Atlantic piece, possibly laying the groundwork for Chris Licht's departure. Because what you really have here is more of a... In in effect, David Levy is almost a co-CEO now, right? They're going to say he reports up to Chris Licht and that Chris Licht keeps his title and makes all the decisions. But in point of fact, David Levy is going to continue to talk to his close friend and boss, David Zaslav. They will figure out what to do with the business there. And, and Chris really now is taking on the role more of a creative director uh, or a head of news while keeping the CEO title. You know, I think you and I and, and others were, were trying to think of an apt analogy for this, and it, it's been challenging, though it does seem familiar. The, the best one I've been able to come up with hails from pro sports. This to me seems like what happens when an owner brings in a new general manager on top of the coach. And the coach gets to keep their job, but you know that the level of scrutiny and the fact that there's a new voice in the room and possibly a new direction and certainly a layering with a direct line to the owner creates the optics and you know of of what seems like a now or never situation right and it, it's pretty that's pretty unavoidable you know there was a lot of reporting the suggesting that this was not a even even if they were looking beyond their walls for a, a COO type, there's nothing to that leads me to believe that this was a decision that that Chris Lick was was deeply engaged. In. It, it wasn't rolled out <laughs> no. that way. No, and then they are saying that right, and and they are telling everyone that you know Chris wanted this and this was his decision. And let's be honest, let's you know, <laughs> we're all adults here. It was not. Um, he might have right. be, he might have become convinced of the logic of it or seen the logic of it and gotten on board. And surely might have been coaxed, conveniently coaxed into this idea. Uh, yeah. But the idea that he that he this sort of came up with this sweet generous is obviously not true. And now what you have is a 
like you said, the general manager and Levy, you also have basically sort of hall, you know, like a hall monitor right. to, to figure out what's going wrong there and who need, you know, not only what needs to change, but who needs to change. And Chris really is now a, a neutered CEO. And, you know, their view at Warner Brothers Discovery, or at least what they'll say is, you know, this provides an opportunity for a reset. And now Chris can focus on doing what his skill set, which is creating good television. I think the problem, the, the things that are they're going to run up against with this reset is, one, he's already lost nearly the entirety of the organization. And yeah. just because they might like Levy, who, as you mentioned, is a very nice, affable guy, doesn't mean they're all of a sudden going to start liking Chris. Second, there has been no evidence in the past 15 months that he actually is still capable of creating good television because despite his his history at morning joe and and late show with with colbert he hasn't put any wins on the board from a programming perspective yet and so now he can't say well i you know was focusing on the restructuring i had was laying people off i had to do x y and z he he can only be judged now on what he does on air because that is all uh, that he is required to do now and and if he it, barring some miraculous turnaround in prime time or some uh, yet another reinvention of the morning show that somehow manages to work. No one is, <laughs> no one is bullish on that. Yeah. Then I think him at the helm becomes sort of impossible to, to defend. Yeah. You, you make a, a great point, which has uh, been largely underappreciated in the kind of wider aperture discussion about Lincoln and CNN, which is he's not, al- he's not alone in this conundrum. Warner Brothers Discovery, Zaz, the board, they, they, they put, him in a position that he'd never been remotely near before. You know, he ran a, a set and team of a couple hundred people with one principal to make a show, or I guess with Mika and Joe, a couple principals. This is orders of magnitude more complex. And they should have always uh, considered him for this sort of quote-unquote creative director. And when, when you think back to the earliest days, some of the the very clear, in retrospect, uh, signs that there were going to be challenges it came down to the fact that he, he didn't approach the opportunity like a CEO. If, if you are a CEO, you are running a strategy, right? You're, you're, you're literally running a multifaceted playbook that focuses on strategically through multiple, you know, parallel work streams, figuring out key both brand building and revenue building exercises, programming the morning, programming the evening, finding costs, dealing with cogs that you can eliminate, figuring out a long-term uh, OTT solution, more integration, et cetera, et cetera. He approached it from the point of view of a creative, which is, I'm going to do a little this, a little that, a little this, a little that. And as a result, things got messy and disorganized very, very quickly. And what they called strategy, quote unquote, and I'm not trying to be critical. We have we both have a lot of friends in and around that place uh, who we respect and think do very good work. But what they called strategy was really just talking points. And it became very clear very quickly that that's all it was. So now, yes, they are isolating him to focus on the programming decisions. And as you say, there are limitations. And I don't want to get into the Alberta story yet because we have a lot to, to chew over there. But one thing that has become very clear is there are usually two types of master news broadcaster executive types that, that, that can succeed, two sort of personality traits. One is the, the Z- Jeff Zucker, mega confident, smartest guy in the room, 
id where truly you can fill in the um, the insecurity and all the talent with your own extraordinary self-confidence uh, having succeeded time and, and time again. And when we saw that work, the other is a more Rune Arledge-ish, and you could say, actually, I think Rashida Jones has a little bit of this at MSNBC, a very, very low-key ego where you let the stars be stars and you're able to operate around them. It's a, it's a personality that a lot of talent agents actually have. That, I think about that often because Lick is somewhere in between. He seems to have both the confidence and a healthy enough ego that uh, has made it very challenging for him to work with the existing talent. And w- when you look up and down the, the, the ranks, they've got the biggest names in the business. Again, in retrospect, it is surprising that they haven't been able even to just move the deck chairs successfully there are plenty of people inside that building who are very very qualified for 9 p.m why did it take them a year and a half to figure this out there are many people inside that building who could have made the morning work why did he figure out this ensemble it's it's very troubling i would offer a third category that i think chris falls into because i think i think the confidence you describe is a I, I say this now after 15 months of covering this guy and and sitting down with him and running you know, <laughs> running at a puck party. It strikes me as a false confidence. It strikes me, in fact, as a confidence masquerading a, a, a an insecurity for being um, out of his depth in that job and of needing needing vindication that he doesn't feel like he has. And this is why you... One question I might ask, you know, to your point about the Rune Arledge types who let their stars shine, how many profiles have we read of uh, Caitlin Collins or Jake Tapper uh, in the last 15 months? And how many profiles have we read of Chris Licht? This guy sat down with James Stewart at the New York Times. He gave Tim Alberta a year's worth of access and I think he expected hagiography. I think he expected to I'll break the fourth wall here as, as we do. Like, I, I recognize that my own coverage has been a, a part of this story. I think he saw I think he saw a lot of negative or critical press coming his way. And I think he thought, you know, if I let people in, they'll see that I'm actually saving journalism. And that's not what's happening there. I think that that false confidence uh, as he, as his inner circle became smaller and smaller brought on a little bit of delusion. And that is how you wind up with a piece like the Tim Alberta piece. And it's how CNN winds up in this moment, I think. And, you know, <laughs> that comes, that sort of paranoia and insecurity ends up coming at the expense of the network and the, and the people who should be the stars who should be out there shining. Dylan, you've elegantly done my job for me and created a perfect segue. Let's come back after the break and discuss this biblically long, brutally painful (laughs) Tim Alberta story on Chris Licht. Back after the break. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. 
You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Dylan, we've been hearing for a long time about this cipher of a Tim Alberta story in the Atlantic. And we've been hearing about it for so long that the Alberta piece has sort of taken on a life of itself. It finally dropped on Friday, and it was a doozy. Inside the meltdown at CNN, CEO Chris Lick felt he was on a mission to restore the network's reputation for serious journalism. How did it all go wrong? And then in 15,000 words, which is, you know, uh, I, I might have something to say about that. Um, they detail so many of the ways it went wrong. Uh, let me just, uh, again, we'll break the fourth wall here. You spoke in the previous segment about Lick's ego and, and vulnerability. This was a disaster of a story on every conceivable level. You know, first and foremost, you, you do see Lick's vanity in this. He wanted the reporter to trail him when he was working out with his trainer at six in the morning doing burpees or whatever or on some elliptical bike. He <laughs> seemed to stage some speaking event for students. You know, there's this constant talk about how Zaz has his back and blah, blah, blah. You, you just you saw an insight into the vanity of the man. But on a deeper level, we know plenty of the people who, who work at the executive level of this network who helped put this story on and you just have to scratch your head and wonder what were they thinking what why would you give this level of access not just to the principal but to everyone around him when you know that people in the building are leaking and, and saying unpleasant things about the person and what you get is sort of just this you know miasma of discontent and outrage I have to imagine that uh, they, they must have started to really regret this six months ago. But tell me what your impressions are. Tell me what you're hearing. And I'd love to just get your extemporaneous thoughts. Uh, I think that is right. And uh, not only were we expecting it, I think a lot of people who have been following this story uh, have been expecting it. And when it finally came out, uh, you know, there's that... <laughs> That uh, blissful 15-minute silence that you get at Thanksgiving dinner while everyone reads the piece. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, everything blows up and everyone has a perspective. And, and this one of the smartest, most insightful media executives who, who I talk to frequently just sent me uh, Proverbs 1618, pride goes before <laughs> destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. That is how you arrive at this piece. There was, I think this sense, again, that this was going to be hagiography and that if he let someone like Tim Alberta, who who for readers who don't know Tim Alberta, is a great journalist who would be among those who would be sympathetic and in fact states in the piece that he is sympathetic to the mission of trying to make CNN a more centrist forum 
for respectful political debate from across the spectrum. And so I think he saw in here someone who would come in and write a more sympathetic and glowing profile. But this, the nature of this piece changed a lot because, like we said, he worked on it for about a year. And what it started out as, at least in the conception of the people involved with the story, was going to be something more about this mission to, can you create compelling journalism from the center in these polarized times? But I think as time went on, and I think as Tim Alberta spent time with the subject, it became impossible not to ignore, one, the climate, yeah. uh, the, the morale uh, at CNN, the ratings nosedive, and then not to also, again, like if you are face-to-face with Chris Licht in the gym, <laughs> you know, to, to not ignore his own sort of insecurities and his own sort of delusions here. And there's so much about this piece that is telling. And we should note, the reporter has, you know, gets to shape a story the way they want, right? And perhaps there were sympathetic voices at CNN he could have spoken to. Who, and certainly, he tried to get an interview with David Zaslav, and they backtracked on it and didn't give it to him and only wanted to talk on background. He didn't want to do that. But they did provide a statement, which was not really a ringing endorsement, and he didn't use it. Whatever the case may be, this was a very long but very accurate finger-on-the-pulse assessment of how things stand at CNN. And when the people who are speaking on your behalf are Frank Luntz and your trainer, and there's nothing in there from the people who work for you or the people oh, for God. whom you work, the only guy speaking on your behalf who isn't, who isn't paid by you is Frank Luntz. It's just a, it's a really bad and embarrassing embarrassing look there were two other things that really stuck out to me as a just chilling moment really uh one the uh, aforementioned zaslov decision to not go on the record and there could be a lot of reasons for that um and i'm sure that zaz wanted to go on background to be supportive you know i do think zaz feels completely responsible for this decision and is and is, is trying to make this work but that is you know alberta juxtaposed zaz's sort of walk back or nathaniel brown's walk back of that with licks constant affirmation that, that zaz had his back so that was that was uncomfortable you know what was also deeply uncomfortable to me was watching lick licked in action in the control room producing don lemon in the morning show and it goes without saying this guy works hard this is a hard job in an impossible situation in a difficult climate it politically and economically uh which is you know i think the, the underappreciated element of this but watching him get pissed and pissy with lemon didn't seem to me like CEO behavior. And I, I felt as though, obviously, I'm sure anchors are prima donnas and and control room talk can be a little bit like locker room talk. You know, uh, people are, are really acting in real time and it's emotional. And of course, Lick, you know, should be in the control room on a new show. He was criticized during the first six months for not being there enough. But the way that Alberta portrayed him, he seemed puerile. He didn't. He didn't seem uh, uh, above it all, and uh, that really stuck out. That was. It was a well placed scene in the story. It was a well placed scene, and you know, one thing that I've heard repeatedly during the course of my reporting over the last year is people will sort of allude to the way that <laughs> there have been meetings in which they feel like Chris sort of speaks ill of <laughs> of some of his own reporters, right, or like criticizes something that they did. 
and the anecdotes were never really specific enough to report. They were they were sort of just like they were sort of vague. But that that is a perfect example. Don, you you have a reporter in the room with you, and whether you like it or not, Don Lemon is you, you've bet on that horse right to achieve success in the mornings. So w- why are you not? Why are you doing that? There's there's such an utter lack of self awareness here, and it is the same lack of self awareness that thinks it would be good to invite the reporter into the gym and make a joke about how your predecessor couldn't lift these weights. There's there's just a lack of understanding about how all of this might potentially come off, and it it's baffling, truly, to me. Yeah, it uh, <laughs> baffling is a good word. I felt, and actually, I'm sort of speaking here as a as an editor that the challenge with giving someone so much access is that they, they write a story that's so long that that can become kind of piecemeal, but where it's scene to scene, and moment to moment to moment. And, and there were some themes of the story that got a little bit lost in this. So here's one that I would have emphasized uh, had had I been uh, working in the crafting of this because I think it got it gets a little bit lost. This situation is impossible for a lot of reasons. Alberta focuses on the political. But the larger complexifier here is that of the 100 people that Alberta spoke to, I bet a large percentage of them would not find the same comfortable professional opportunity outside of CNN. If this were all happening 15 or 20 years ago, people would have walked across the street and gotten a job at MSNBC or Mm. maybe a, a, a more tame version of Fox or somewhere else in a different economic environment. That is not the case. Every broadcast organization is is trying to figure out what a less expensive news operation looks like, and, and they're all basically following each other. So part of the discontent with Licht is, of course, represented in, in people's professional frustrations and, and, and their own discontent with, with their own personal situation. But, but what seems to be um, uh, to come across deeply in this piece is just how alone this guy is in the building. Uh, Alberta references a few times the this very small inner circle and and uh, when Dornick is conducting that interview or you know sort of being the invisible hand of the interview with Caitlin Collins and Don Lemon, it's clear how far Licht is from his frontline talent and say what you will about Jeff Zucker and my God, these guys sure do. But media is a people business, and it's a talent business, and you just come away with the sense that this guy is uh, increasingly siloed and speaking to his own audience of one. He is, and and that circle is incredibly small, and I think the tighter the circle gets, the more you you sort of, out of a a sense of necessity, really start to drink the Kool-Aid and believe you're yes men and yes women. And again, you do become sort of delusional about how things are are actually going. And perhaps after 15 months of coverage from us and others, and then this lengthy Tim Alberta piece, that the the truth is too big to ignore. Well, that's up to Dave Levy. Well, uh, we can put a pin in it there, Dylan. Our pal has got a lot of work ahead of him. But thanks for your insight, as always. The the Alberta story was in many ways a tribute to your own reporting. And uh, I certainly got a chuckle uh, about that scene in which Licht is taking all the talent out to dinner. And people are wondering what he's obsessively doing on his phone. And it turns out that he's reading your story. So uh, uh, breaking the, the fourth <laughs> you, wall once and always. You know, I saw, I saw Puck's true influence in Alberta's use of the word defenestrated. <laughs> I got a few texts about that too. That's very funny. Yes, it's 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 nice that we can see our um, we, we can recognize ourselves in the culture. Anyway, Dylan, thanks for chatting. I'll uh, I'll catch up with you next week. All right, cheers. 
thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Ben Landy. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Odyssey. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, Bob Tabador, and Ben Landy, executive editor at Puck.